Welcome back, HVAC On Air listeners. We are here for another edition with Jennifer on what's new with regs. Jennifer has brought another guest with her today. We're always excited because Jennifer brings the best guests to the show. And today we have Mark Scancarello. Some of you may have heard Mark's TED Talk, Give Me a Wrench. So if you have not and you want to hear more from Mark after this show, please go check that out on TEDx. And I'll let Jennifer do the rest of the introductions. Thank you, Lindsay, and welcome, Mark. Mark, we know you're a star here at Emerson, but for everyone else's benefit, um, can you maybe give an introduction of yourself, what you do here at Emerson, and maybe some of the ASHRAE committees that you're involved with? Yeah, thank you, Jennifer and Lindsay. And uh, this is fun for me, so I want to thank you for inviting me. I'm the uh, director of the materials engineering department here, and I've been here for 30 years. And uh, it's basically in the three general areas of metallurgy, polymer engineering, and chemistry. So I've had a pretty traditional role probably for the first 23 years here. And, but for the last seven years, I've been doing something quite a bit different. I've been involved with the, uh, the standards, the, the product standards for HVAC and R, improving those to accommodate the low global warming refrigerants. Also, I'm a member of uh, ASHRAE Standard 34, which classifies refrigerants, puts the R number on them, and et cetera. And I'm a voting member on that also. So um, uh, that's about it. Okay. Thank you. So in today's episode, you know, we're going to focus on the characteristics of these next generation of refrigerants and the impact that they have on codes and standards. So hence why Mark is here with us today. He's our local expert, and we hope to share some of our knowledge with you. In previous episodes, just to recap quickly, I welcome you to go back and listen to those, but we've talked about policy and regulatory drivers of these policies and the transition to these low global warming potential refrigerants. And so, like I mentioned, today we're going to talk about these characteristics. And I want to step back and just focus on why this is a little different than past transitions. So in the past, if I think of the transition between R22 and 410A, your job was still important back then in that transition. You know, there were some big changes and we focused on things like pressure differences. Obviously, you always look at the capacity from one refrigerant or one fluid to another. Maybe material compatibility glide can be a big mm-hmm. issue. Um, but why is this transition different? Yeah, that, that is very true. These low global warming refrigerants, and it's interesting because the fact that they are low global warming is the same causal factor why they happen to be flammable because when it's unstable up in the atmosphere and it degrades and it goes away that's a good thing but that instability um, causes flammability on earth (laughs) where there's oxygen so the product standards and the application standards although they did have a twos so that they did accommodate flammable refrigerants it was for a very limited application and the charges were not that large. So now, to use these low global warming refrigerants, um, the A2L classifications, the charge sizes are much larger. You know, they're like they are now with 410A or R22, you know, several pounds. Safety precautions and measures have to be installed into the existing standards, the product standards, and to accommodate that. And that's not a trivial task. That You know, it was enormous. It's taken years and it's still not quite done yet either. So um, yeah, it's it's essentially the fact that common refrigerants will be uh, flammable. So. Okay, 
And so the question that we left off with last episode was, what should I know about these new refrigerants and systems that use them? And I think Mark just introduced that very nicely, that new refrigerants are classified as mildly flammable or A2L, and we'll, we'll get into that classification here in a minute. But in addition, the systems designed to use them have to have these additional mitigations built in to be able to handle that flammability and to allow us to safely install them in their designated locations. And so, um, Mark, real quick, I wanted to maybe give a high-level overview of how in the United States we classify refrigerants, and I know you're involved with ASHRAE 34. Can you quickly identify how? I'm just thinking, for those on the phone, let's explain ASHRAE 34 to them, just in case they are unaware of the group itself or or the ASHRAE ruling 34 or whatever it happens to be, <laughs> as, as I'm the, the one who's not as well-versed in this on, on here, I'm, I'm thinking maybe there are some listeners who might also appreciate the explanation. Yeah, thank you. Um, right, so um, like you said, in, in North America, a body of ASHRAE, it's a standard, and it's called Standard 34. And by the way, there's an international counterpart, ISO 817, that has a similar function. But basically, uh, the the standard is composed of industry experts. There are three groups, and it's uh, flammability, toxicity, and designation and nomenclature. And those three bodies examine applications that come in, typically from larger corporations, when they invent a new refrigerant. They submit an application, and there are various... Uh, distinct rules on uh, what information they need to submit. Each one of those subcommittees within Standard 34 examines the application, and the application has all the um, you know toxicity, flammability properties, and, and also physical properties like you know vapor pressure and boiling point and all that density. Then, after the three subcommittees review the application, then the full committee of Standard 34 votes on it. Okay. And by the way, the subcommittees vote on it, too, using very strict Roberts rules and everything else. Okay. Um, and oftentimes, this is an iterative process because we might find something, an applicant made a mistake, or we disagree with one of the findings, whatever. So it can be an iterative process and has to go back for a voting again. Uh, let's see. Then after that, it goes out for public review. Oh, wow. So there's a publication public review process. And that's similar to the the product standards we mentioned before, too. After they're all done by the experts, examined by the experts, uh, they go out for public review. And there are typically comments by the public. Anyone you know here in this room could comment on it. Where would they find um, like the public announcement of these new suggested standards? Right. That that is uh, advertised, if you will, through ASHRAE. Okay. And. Typically, it's it's a consistent body of, you know, I say people like us would do it, but <laughs> there probably is a very um, small group of people that have a vested interest in knowing what's coming out, and uh, they would be the ones that typically comment on it. But yeah, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a very broad exposure. <laughs> but anyway, th- those comments that come in, ASHRAE 34 is bound to address them and answer them. And then, then the commenter has an opportunity to respond, and that can be, again, an iterative process. There's typically testing involved for toxicity and flammability. So it's, number one, expensive and time-consuming. Um, so that's why an average person typically doesn't submit a new refrigerant. It's typically a larger 
corporation like a refrigerant manufacturer. But I think it provides a lot of checks and balances, at least from your, what you're explaining here. I think that's what you need with something like this in the industry, especially when we're talking about flammability, safety, new safety right. installation safety, and especially for the folks on the road that are going to be working with these products or installing these products, I think that process is important to understand that, like you said, it's not taken lightly. Yeah. Yes, right. I think I think that's what a lot of these, the UL safety standards and the ASHRAE standards, whether it's application standards or refrigerant standards, they all have processes that ensure consistency and integrity, regardless of who's the manufacturer submitting maybe the application for the particular refrigerant or whatever, you know, we need consistency across the board. And that's what these processes bring um, with them inherently. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I could mention one more thing, but you know, the panel of experts that's, that are on standard 34, they try to have a balance. You know, they don't have all refrigerant manufacturers say they have a balance of, you know, end users, component manufacturers and consultants, and of course, refrigerant manufacturers, but, um, yeah, so it is a it, it's a, a balanced group of folks voting on the on the applications. Right. Okay, so Mark, you mentioned that flammables, you know, historically flammables have been allowed, but in certain instances or certain pieces of equipment. And so now we're looking to extend that to even direct systems that are installed in residential and and direct installations, I guess you'd say, of mm-hmm. direct systems. So how does the difference in classification, so if we, we think about 410A that we use today that's classified as an A1 or non-toxic, non-flammable, or right. lower flammab- <clears throat> lowest flammability, I don't know, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. Um, when we move to these new refrigerants, many of them will be classified as A2L or non-toxic, that's the A value, and the 2L being mildly flammable. Um how how are those adopted into the UL safety standards, which for air conditioning is 60335-2-40, and the application standard that we use here in the U.S., ASHRAE 15? How did, how did the committees look at pulling in or adopting these flammable refrigerants, and what modifications were needed there? Up until now, like you mentioned, we, we only had two flammability ratings, right? It's uh, either a two or a three, one being non-flammable. And it turns out that, you know, all of these, most anyway, of these low global warming refrigerants were not quite as flammable as a two. They certainly weren't a three, but they weren't a one either. So (laughs) they distinguish the uh, A2L from a two by the burning velocity, the speed at which, you know, a flame will propagate. And it turns out that these local warming uh, refrigerants that are, you know, popular right now fall into that category where they have a much lower velocity of the flame propagation. So, as you mentioned, you know, they call those A2, or, or I'm sorry, 2Ls. It's a mildly flammable version of a 2. Now, how that affects the product standards or the application standards, they, they never recognized A2Ls. They weren't in existence years ago. So, n- none of those standards, they're all silent on A2Ls. They don't, they don't even mention So. For the past seven years, we had to develop, you know, accommodations and safety mitigation, safety measures, so that those standards can handle 2L refrigerants. Because the 2L refrigerants, as opposed to like an A3 propane or isobutane, 
have much larger charges. They're not too much different than, you know, 410A. So when you have large charges like that, you know, the danger is a little bit more. The safety precautions are a little bit more uh, important. So the standards had to incorporate safety measures in them. And what I mean by that is the overarching goal for all those changes was that if there were a leak in your house and there's an ignition source, say a candle or something, (laughs) a fire will not occur. So all of those mitigations we have installed into the standards, uh, the goal is just that, that fire cannot occur. And um, specifically, you know, there's a leak detection sensors being used or being proposed. And then uh, airflow mitigation is triggered by those sensors. and, And what that does is that it immediately dilutes you know, the air in the room with the refrigerant so that it brings it below the flammable limit. So again, if there's a leak that immediately comes on and there's an automatic uh, airflow triggered and um, it brings the concentration down and and everything is okay. There's also valving being discussed where um, you, you might be able to divert the majority of the charge outside of the living space. So that again is triggered by the sensor. So yeah, there there's there are quite a, quite a few changes that are being you know discussed in the standards and um, you know the six zero three three five two eighty nine for refrigeration and two forty for air conditioning and heat pumps dehumidifiers are all being changed to install those safety measures in, into them. Well, and that's a really good point. That's why this is important, not only to the folks that are installing it, but the manufacturers who are making this, because this completely changes designs, right? Right. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, Mark, you mentioned that this this process has been going on for seven years. This isn't something that was undertaken in the last six months or that was rushed through. But also, I want to mention that, you know, there's a lot of research that was done over these seven years to support these code changes. And there were numerous bodies that funded this research, that participated in this research. These changes and these mitigations that were recommended were also tested repeatedly from different angles to make sure that they were effective and that these products would be safe if they incorporated these mitigations. Um, right. Yeah. So, we could spend, I think we could honestly spend probably, well, Mark and I could spend all day on this topic, but for for the average person, we could literally probably spend an hour and obviously we don't want to take up that much of your time. So just know that, you know, I do want to just quickly hit on the fact that these standard um, modifications will impact the way equipment is designed But installation also relies on building codes and the adoption of these safety standards into the building codes at a local level, a local or state level. And so this might take years before it actually makes it to the end user, right? Because there's this whole adoption process and not every state adopts on the same code cycle. Yeah, Yeah, that's a problem. And so (laughs) it's pretty fragmented across the U.S. And so... Um, that's where Mark and I now are spending a lot of our, our timeshare is trying to pay attention to which states are adopting which versions of code. And Well, yeah. And I know in a previous episode, we talked about state by state adoption earlier. So for listeners, if you want to hear more on that topic, 
feel free to go back and listen to that episode with um, Jennifer and Don as well. Yes. And, and how complicated it is to keep track of where your state's at. But um, yes. But it is important to know these things. Oh, critical. I mean, if you're doing, especially if you're doing business in more than one state, you have to really pay attention because what may be true over here may not be true Absolutely, <laughs> in the right. neighboring state. So yeah, yeah. even towns and, and counties, right? Right. Sometimes <laughs> it can be on that local level. Yes, yeah. for sure. And I mean, obviously permitting and all of that helps address right. that, but you just have to be familiar with the process. Up to this point, we focused a lot on refrigerants and talked a lot about refrigerants, but what about efficiency? So next episode, we're going to transition our focus to the efficiency regulations and the question of the week, are there new efficiency regulations on the way? All right. Well, thank you, Mark. We appreciate your insight and knowledge on this topic. Oh, absolutely. And you're welcome. Yeah, thank you for joining. Um, we're really trying to break these topics down into small segments so they're just a little more digestible. So we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing a little bit of your expertise with us. Yeah, well, seriously, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And as always, listeners, you can find us at ac-heatingconnect.com. Follow us at Copeland Scroll on Facebook and Twitter um, and leave us a comment if you want to hear more specifics on anything about regulations. We'll reach out to the experts here like Jennifer and Mark for the answers. Um, And with that, we'll see you next time. Stay tuned.